0: Welcome to Three Night Weekend, where we prepare you for the weekend to come with the help of gaming industry luminaries. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can find me on the world's most advanced gaming website, Sifted, at Sifted.net, or on Twitter, at Dinfire. If you want to support the show, head to Patreon.com slash Sifted. The show goes live every Friday for our patrons, and the following Monday for everyone else. This week, we're talking with Garnet Lee. From his time working at Ziff Davis during its peak on publications like EGM... The legendary gaming website, OneUp.com is an editor-slash-developer at Gamefly, or his more recent runs at Amazon and Raw Fury, he has a lot of amazing stories to tell and insight to share. And here we are with Garnet Lee, one of my colleagues throughout the years, and I would say... In certain cases one of my competitors throughout the years as well <laughs> garnet has worked at uh let's see you you made a run at ziff davis yep. uh you worked at gamefly you moved over to game development at the end of your tenure at gamefly and worked at amazon with lumberyard and those teams you're now living in sweden working at raw fury it's been a crazy career for you Welcome to Three Night Weekend, Garnet Lee.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Shane. This is awesome. And yes, I should have brought like a Swedish flag. I should have like a Swedish flag here and be like blue and yellow. It has a cross on it.
0: (laughs) Now, Garnet, not only were you a competitor, you were really a good friend, to be perfectly honest with you. You ended up moving to Los Angeles for a time. Uh, You and I are both really into house music and you became my uh, my club buddy for a while. We go out and hear DJs talk about house music. You're just really starting to get into it and starting to DJ when you left L.A., um, it was a sad day when you left Los Angeles, I will admit. I know. Um, going, here, going away was like, dinner got... was very
1: sad. You guys are the ones I miss the most.
0: Yeah, but uh, it has been a while since we've reconnected because you moved up to Seattle and then you ended up moving overseas. So it's really good to connect with you here on three night weekend. Um, let's start, though, with how you got involved in games in the first place. Were you <laughs> like me? Were you a kid that like had an Atari and then got an NES or were games something that you that appealed to you a little later?
1: Uh, I've got that I've got that age thing, so I won't give away too much, but I will tell you that my first system was a Coleco Telestar combat game. Okay. So have you ever seen you ever seen one of these deals? Yes, I have. It was the deal with the two little sticks on it, right? And all it did yep. was play tank. All it did was play tank and it was like 30 versions of tank and it had that little button on the top and you press the button and it gave you a different version of tank, like invisible tanks, invisible invisible maze, invisible bullets. Uh, It makes you feel
0: better, Mm Garnet. My first system was a Pong slash Skeet hybrid machine.
1: Oh, I see that thing, too. Yeah. There's also one of the three sides.
0: It's called like a Telestar something or other. Yeah. Same deal, dude. I'm right there with you, pretty much. So right on. Games at a young age, then.
1: Oh yeah, that totally hooked me. That totally hooked me. And then, uh I mean, there was also there was like the that like late seventies, early eighties was also the era of like the first sort of like interactive toys. The same way, like the big track, which which is like this tank thing that you like programmed with little numbered board oh, on the top. yeah, I forgot it about did, that. Like, yeah, like so. Like, I've always sort of been into that stuff. um I was out of game. I mean, I, I, my family was never like the wealthiest family on the block. So I didn't get to have like an Atari, but I had friends who had Atari. Did you an Atari. not have friends
0: that you to borrow stuff no, That's what i their I'm saying. Yeah, then,
1: yeah. So, so I had friends who had Atari, but actually one of my best friends had uh, Intellivision. And so <laughs> we used to play Intellivision baseball all the time. But man, the funny thing about that game system was, did you have an Intellivision? I did, yeah. Okay. Did you have the same problem where like that? The the controller, the little fl- the little uh, membrane the disc? buttons. Oh, the buttons well, and stick? the membrane buttons. I mean, they wouldn't last, but like I don't know, like a, a half a year or so. So you were constantly tearing those things up. We well, had those uh, plastic sleeves
0: that would slide in over top of the keypad, and those would wear out very quickly. And then yes. and then the buttons itself underneath would eventually wear out as well. Yep.
1: And then he got a cleco vision which was like the bomb. Dude, that was like the thing. The Coleco Vision in its era was- it was name. arcade perfect. It was what it we was had amazing. all- It was amazing.
0: When we would go to bed at night, we would pray for something like a ColecoVision. I want <laughs> like, the ColecoVision. I want to play Donkey Kong that looked- because we had the Atari 2600 that would right. try to create recreate these arcade games. Remember Pac-Man for the Atari 2600? <laughs> I remember how excited I was for that. And then I got it for Christmas and I was like, what the hell is this? ColecoVision was arcade perfect for the time. It It was was. the dream that we had all prayed for at night. And then finally it came. The problem with ColecoVision was after those kind of arcade perfect ports, there wasn't a lot else.
1: No, there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of
0: original content for in exclusives for ColecoVision. The
1: baseball was really good, too. And it had that crazy baseball controller that was like a hand grip with a stick on the top of it. And then you had the four (laughs) finger buttons for the it was a great controller for baseball. I mean, granted, you couldn't really play anything else with it. The holy grail of that era, actually. And I never knew anyone. I never knew anyone who had one was the Neo Geo. Yeah, it was too expensive. Oh my god it was like hundreds of dollars with the 256k cartridges and the cartridges were like the size of a sandwich and then there but, was the I vectrex
0: mean, which was like yeah. the you know it was all wireframe graphics so you got the arcade perfect asteroids on that but not much else battle zone i think arcade perfect
1: probably i mean that seemed to be the right thing to go on there so then so obviously there, then there was well then i went to the did this crazy thing going to college uh but my now, mom and Garnet, my mom was... your major
0: in college was landscape architecture. Is that correct? That is correct. correct. I, that is correct. <laughs> I
1: have a degree in landscape architecture.
0: Why if you were so into games and technology, why was your major landscape architecture?
1: Well, I mean, you know, there were a lot of trees involved. <laughs> were you an outdoors guy? Like is... that wasn't the kind of trees I was talking oh. about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but you know, so so are you saying you
0: went for the uh, the lowest hanging fruit for your degree? You you wanted <laughs> to uh, just ha- get a degree that wasn't going to
1: challenge you? Is that what you're saying? No, actually, actually, landscape architecture is a super hard degree. Oh, it, it is. is. Architect- yeah, it's it's an architecture degree. So you learned art, you learned design, you learned, uh drawing and drafting and illustration. Uh, My first dorm go- mate in college
0: was an architecture major, and he he studied, oh. 10 times more than I did at oh, least insane. and failed yeah, I, out. <laughs> oh no. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah he I only was... lasted two semesters and he was gone.
1: Yeah. It's so hard. The last two years, I mean, so the first year or so was like normal, was like normal college party, have a good time, drink all the time. But by the second, uh, by, by spring semester of sophomore year, I was basically like at the, at the, uh, you always have architecture buildings, uh, architecture, um, uh, Curriculum usually is in its own building, and mm-hmm. same thing here. We had an architecture pavilion, or landscape architecture pavilion, where you'd go because they have drafting tables and all the space. Because we drew by hand back yeah. then, I had to learn a trial <laughs> uh, And man, it was just—you spent all, you would spend nights there. You'd like sleep under the desk and shit. It was—it's it's that kind of craziness. So, ironically, it sort of prepared you a little bit for being in the games industry because <laughs> you have to be super yeah. in love with what you're doing, very dedicated, because you guys spend a lot spend of time doing it. it. Yeah. yeah. But then the other thing that's really interesting is that you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of design that's universal so understanding the way shapes and forms work together understanding especially like if you think about the rise of adventure games and shooters your level design is landscape architecture like you're designing. Point. Yeah, you're designing environments. You have people moving inside of them. You have other objects moving around inside of them. You have circulation patterns. You're trying to put people in the space and have them do things. It's it's totally landscape architecture. Um, so it served me really well. In, in, so it actually did prepare you for your it totally career. Totally did. Yeah, <laughs> it was really pretty good, funny. A bizarre way a bizarre way it really helped a lot with that. Uh, so you graduated. I graduated, and for graduation, my mom gave me a Sega Genesis. Wow. Which great knew that I really wanted. Yeah. I know, but she knew I really wanted the Genesis because at the time I was super into football games. And I mean, obviously at the time Madden football and Genesis was the deal, right? And you're going to college
0: thing. and back then sports games in college. I mean, when I went to college, that's all we played. Like you go oh, to yeah. someone's house, you'd play Madden. You go to someone else's
1: house, you play NHL 94. Yep. Uh, that's that's just exactly what college was. Yeah. That's exactly how I was too. So, or some little NBA live up in there, yep. too, probably. Yeah. So yeah. So same experience. And so from then on out, I was hooked. Uh, I got out of school and practiced landscape architecture for about ten years.
0: Wow. So, so you looked, actually
1: did work in your major for? Oh yeah, yeah I, did, a while. yeah. I did. game. I did. I did design, and then I went from design into a job where I was working that was much more like. Uh, uh, it was called image management. So basically I was running image management for a multi-county convenience store company that ran all of the mobile gas stations around Houston. (laughs) (laughs) So when you went to a store, whatever you saw from the paint to the signs to the landscape to everything that made it look nice was my was my team's.
0: Garnet, I worked. (laughs) You won't believe this. I worked at a mobile gas station as my high school job. For no like way. for like three years, yes, <laughs> and and I also remember that there were very strict codes on oh. how we had to do everything, like how oh, the curbs, stick. how yep. the curbs had to be painted, the colors they had the white, to be. Painted. Yep, yep. And I was a skater, and all my friends were skaters, and so they'd come to my job and they'd skate the curb like while oh. they were waiting for me to get off work and just annihilate the curb. And my manager would come over and just be like, "What?" Oh, that mobile is going to cut us off of their charter and blah, blah. If they come and see this and they, they come over <laughs> and start You're the first person to I've ever head.
1: met who actually understands. The, <laughs> so, yes, I was so the funny. Person who, I'm the person who came around and did all that. Made sure yeah. your signs were in compliance. Made sure your pumps were all your dispensers. Sorry, yeah, we're all clean. Yeah, that's so funny, man. It's a okay. one, I guess. How did we never talk about that? That's I really don't funny. Know. We never got drunk enough, I guess. <laughs> no, I think we did that. Just, we just never got yeah. to that part. <laughs> So how
0: did that transition into your first job Uh, in the industry?
1: So, of course, at the same time, I'm playing games all the time, and... It got to a point where I just like I was young. I was working tons and tons of hours. I was burned up on it. I was like, I just can't stand any of this. Uh, and it seems like was... a really boring job, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and it was seven days a week. I mean, it was oh, seven geez. days a week, crazy. I was, I was making a ton of money for like a 28-year-old, 29-year-old, but it was just yeah. to, totally not worth it. Uh, and I was playing Neverwinter Nights, the multiplayer game on America Online, which was, you remember, you remember SSI's Gold Box have you ever heard of these gold? SSI no. made these gold box dungeon to dragon games. So basically, uh, if you imagine like what Ultima looked like, but each of the rooms was, it was a con- containerized space, but it was, it was like D&D, D&D rules. And like, you know, little Sprite, got, Eric animated Sprite, no, not animated, but Sprite uh, art. Uh, and they needed game, game hosts. And so I started doing that, which led to me getting like my AOL for free forever. Uh, <laughs> your 56K <laughs> then, dial-up connection i know and so then i started writing game guides for that uh and that led to them asking me to start writing some game reviews because they were still trying i mean this is like when aol was still a thing and they had like the game a- you
0: started writing game reviews for aol is what you're saying right but like for free right i mean oh. Oh, for free i got my free aol out of it right <laughs> wow <laughs> I, I don't know, know they were really uh getting one over on you there garnet <laughs> i know i know well you know it, it all paid dude, off though the-
1: in the end right well, yes, it did all pay off. Yeah. Uh, and So anyway, long story short was I almost – so I, I there was a job at PC Gamer for an entry-level editor. And I made it through the writing samples. I made it through the first phone interviews, all that. They flew me up to PC Gamer, which was in South San Francisco at the time. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed with them. And it, I thought the interview had gone great. Like they took me through – their interview at the time was – come for a day spend a day with the editorial team spend an hour with like each discipline and we'll get to know you and i'm like worked out i got to meet some really cool people like michael wolf was there at the time uh, denny atkins was there at the time anyway uh long story short was that at the end of the interview i thought everything had gone great i met with the publisher i go home and i'm at home for like two weeks and finally i call him up and i'm like so what's going on and he's like well this is matt firm you, you know who matt firm is he was the uh publisher at the time i do not know him i know his name though he's like he's like well garden He's like, you know, video games are serious business. It's like, and everyone thinks you're just a, just a little too enthusiastic for the PC gamer brand. What? And so you have to remember, like, this is the era of computer games being serious business, man. Like yeah. you, you <laughs> play, you play Falcon 4 with a flight stick brother and it is serious like (laughs) it's a real simulation you know that's hilarious so uh I mean I'll be honest with you
0: my first job at GameSpot it was kind of that way like I felt like they took it so serious that they kind of took some of the fun out of it and when I first started working at GameSpot to your point a lot of the people who were the heads of editorial were PC gamer guys they were predominantly (sighs) playing PC games
1: yeah yeah so uh, he says. He says, but you know, we really liked you, and we think you're cool. So we, I've got a job for you. I'm like, okay, you got a, got a job for me. That's so the good Job turned out to be a job at Electronics Boutique, the <laughs> video game store in the mall. <laughs> so wait, he said to you, like, go work at a game store? No, he actually got me a job with them. <laughs> so here's the deal. He got me. So he. Got... <laughs> oh
0: man! Holy crap! Dude. So
1: he got me a job with them to be a district manager. Oh, so, okay and but my but the but the job wasn't to be a di- the district manager was like the day job but the job was that i was also put on this team that was called like the sundays team and basically what it was was me and a couple like two or three or four other district managers every quarter would go back to the home office which is in westchester pennsylvania wow you know where that's that kind is of philadelphia yep that's right and we'd meet up with the buying team and we'd sit with the buying team when the publisher reps would come around doing their song and dance routines Mm -hmm. and they would leave a bunch of builds and so we'd divide them up amongst the team and then we'd go away and we'd write one sheets and so he he, what what matt's point was he's like you need to see the work you need to see how serious business this business is he's like to see that it is a business
0: and not just fun and games
1: yeah right so uh it was interesting because that really taught me a lot about understanding like like being enthusiastic about games and knowing where they are and, un- and understanding how to though, also critique a game, not just for its artistic merit, but for its like, what, how good a game is this? And also think about like, what games are there in the market that are like this? And does this game do something new? And is it interesting? All sorts of things that pay off down the line later when I'm looking at like indie indie game pitches and that sort of right. stuff. Like yeah. really helps you like start to lay your roots down. The best one of all of this is I got to play Half-Life before anybody else did. Wow. One of the games, One of the games I got to like write the one sheet on was Half-Life. Huh. And and I have to tell you that at the time it was really people forget this too. At the time, it was really unsure how like we didn't know how that game was gonna do. Yeah. And and finally or we did like did you we... write a, a favorable one sheet on oh, the yeah. game? Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> Uh, and because one of the ways Electronics Boutique got ahead at that era was, keep in mind, this is predating like any online buying, all that kind of stuff is. Yeah. Electronics Boutique, it was was relying on us gamers at this, in this little Sundays group to give them the inside track to know when a game was really good. Mm-hmm. And they would just blow the order out of the water. And right. they would make sure that they would literally buy almost the entire market. And, ah. and so and that was big to That's the buyers smart. Yeah, because if the buyers could say that either I can like, get no, Half
0: Life there, I know I can get Half Life there.
1: Yeah, that's right. But, but the thing is, if they could get us, or if they could get GameStop, then they could get Walmart to order a second round. Right. Well, GameStop
0: didn't even exist back then, right? It oh was yeah, like um, Babbage's uh, Babbage's Funko Land.
1: Yeah, Funko Land. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and well, they were still out there in software, etc.
0: Software, etc. That's another yeah. one. <laughs> it's crazy. They're all gone now. <laughs> like all of them.
1: So, uh, but anyway, that was, that was what I did for a long time uh, until, until I started, uh, like, really, so I had enough money and I'd been moved to Phoenix uh, because you, they moved me around a lot as a district manager because I was decent at that also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started writing, uh, I started looking for freelance work again. I uh, started working with Brian Williams, Brian Williams, remember him and yeah. uh, Game Spy, Reagan yeah. Padilla was giving me stuff. Um, and that was where I got hooked up with the Ziff Davis guys. Working and, at GameSpy, yeah. Okay, but that was I was so actually back then you used to be on email chains and basically yeah. you had to have like your BBS Gmail boards open. and IRC yeah, and- channels and. And that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And like, Do you the remember that
0: IRC channel that we were all on back in the day? <laughs> all the games writers yeah. were on.
1: Yes. <laughs> and like, so that someone would drop a someone would drop and say, "Hey, I've got a, I've got an assignment here. I need someone to take it." And yeah. everyone would be like, "I got it! Got it! Got it! Got it!" Right? Yeah. So you had, and you had to be right there and be fast at that moment. yeah. Right to eat. Uh, so I mean, I guess I sort of proved my chops pretty quickly. Um, and sam kennedy was spinning scam and john davison were spinning up one up they had done gamers.com uh as if Dave was doing all right and they offered back me when pretty, print still existed yeah and they offered me a pretty sweet deal to be on retainer they're like okay don't work for anybody else we'll give you a monthly uh and you just and you would write whatever we send you and so this was really this was actually one of the most fun parts of my career because most of it was for one up but I never. Did. Sam and John would send me like. Remember those FedEx boxes that are like this, like yeah. this, like this. They would just send me a box full of builds.
0: Yeah, I used to get and, that too. Yeah, and and and, and the half of them would be like broken and shattered when you'd open the box. Like the yeah. cases would be all destroyed.
1: Yeah, and I, so I had like you know I had like a chipped PS2. That was thing was genius. Yeah, uh, bootstrapper. You didn't, bootstrapper you didn't on my need PC. the debug. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, and so. There and then and then you know anything that was cartridge based they'd send you ROM cards, and those would just play on your machine so that was fine yeah and uh, and so the assignment was this was all the stuff that the internal editors didn't want from last month that's how it worked and I mean, they're the like freelance go guy through yep. this, go through this see what's decent and send us back word counts on however much you're writing about and so you know I'd like sift through this shit and pick out like oh this is worth 600 words this is worth 800 words uh, and write that stuff up. And, uh, you know, eventually they were sort of eager to get me to come up there. Uh, of course, moving up to San Francisco, its a big jump in money, right? Yeah.
0: Well, a big jump as far as your living expenses as well. Right.
1: But not, but not <laughs> Well, big jump in money for living expenses, but not for income. Right. So that right. was a big challenge. Yep. And finally, uh, through, so Ziff was working deals. So CGW was bopping along, but they did a deal to become uh, Games for Windows magazine. And that got Microsoft sponsor money, mm. which got them headroom to hire a dedicated e- editor head against that, which is what eventually moved me up there. So I moved up there to be PC editor. Uh, and about six months later was when we started firing up Game Trailers. I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not game, game Trailers, trailers. competitor. <laughs> <laughs> game Videos, right? Yes, GameVideos.com.
0: They, they, you uh, guys, I mean, let's just be honest. You guys launched that to try to swoop in on what game trailers came trailer oh, was doing getting we were getting murdered
1: yeah we were getting murdered on traffic and video traffic i mean look it was it was the world was that was the dawning of the change that right? was the
0: first like at, after i had moved to game trailers that was the first time well ign had started shifting towards video once we started eating their lunch a little bit but that was the first time one of the competitors was like you know what we're just we're gonna coming. launch a direct competitor to you guys yeah. it was good for us because we had been floating along at that point I remember, my boss coming into my office and being like, Look at this shit.
1: Uh, and game it, videos. Yeah, Game.com <laughs> was pretty good. Yeah. And the crazy I part mean, is like, I loved
0: all you guys and was friends with all you guys and yeah. owned a lot of you guys well, for we like, all point, like 10 years. And my boss is like, You have to end these people. And I'm like, But I like these people. <laughs> like, like, seriously, like Mark McDonald. Like, I love him. Oh, like, yeah. I'm like, I can't end Mark McDonald. First of all, it's impossible because he's freaking awesome. He's really good at what he does. But like, Personally, I cannot do this. Like they're good people; they're just yeah. trying to keep their jobs. Like it was very bizarre and and odd for me. But yeah, it's pretty so anyway. cutthroat.
1: Yeah, That's pretty cutthroat. I'm not yeah. surprised. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, you know, like in, in the in the San Francisco space, like we would go downstairs to stuffs, and the game spot guys would come down the hill to stuffs, and everyone would sit around and drink Jameson and have fun so we were all pretty
0: <laughs> but it was like funny like there's stuff that happened where you guys had like stolen some of our videos and like had our watermark on them and didn't you guys read... really yeah and you guys didn't <sighs> notice it And you guys like were are running some of our exclusives like on your site <laughs> like
1: I don't mean to laugh, but it is. No,
0: funny. It, I mean, that's how it was back then, though. Like, that's <laughs> oh, it was cutthroat. Like, and, it was and You cut guys throat. weren't the only ones. Machinima did it to us. And like, oh, I not about
1: Machinima. I'd
0: have uncomfortable calls with like, again, people that I liked and respected, but they were stealing our shit. It's like, that's how cutthroat it was. Like, we got, dude, we got so many. We got an exclusive every day on game trailers, mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. And so you guys got sick of it. And you started stealing our videos and just running them. And so did machinima and so i had to have these uncomfortable calls with my friends i'm like what are you guys doing like our watermark is on your website and they just wouldn't have noticed it and they're like oh oh, okay and then there was like another time we were at an event i'm not gonna name who it was but someone who was working on game videos like made a scene in like a demo like one time in front of like pr people where he said something to me about like us taking like all the videos it was just It was pretty crazy, man, for a little period there. Because everybody was was like a, it was like a gold rush because Game Trailers launches and it's all video. And and Game Trailers just explodes. And everyone's like, well, shit, like we need to do what they're doing. And it just became cutthroat for like two or three years there. Like I remember IGN like hated us. Like I would get calls from them. We go to events. Like we were the first people who ever did the developer walkthrough. So we go to an event, Mm. we'd mic up the developer. And instead of them of doing an interview, we'd be like, Just play the game and talk about it, and we'll shoot the screen and mic you up. And, dude, they were huge. Like, they exploded, and IGN hated us for it because our guys would go to events and get this stuff and come back. We'd be the only person with the developer walkthrough. IGN would sit down and do their interview, and no one cared. And then we put up the developer walkthrough, and it would explode. And I get these weird calls from IGN editorial. What are you doing over there? You're breaking all the rules that we've established. I'm like, what, you established? (laughs) Really? Okay, like it was just a really, really weird time. Pro
1: tip day. for anybody watching: if someone ever tells you you're breaking all the rules, then you're definitely doing something right. Exactly, we were I obviously. Mean, Game show. De- that means you were definitely yeah. on the right creative path, breaking yeah. all the rules. Breaking all the world rules is code for goddamn it! You're stealing. Like, why did I not think of that?
0: But we weren't even breaking the rules. We just refused to adhere to the normative behavior that they felt rules. that they had established. They're like, we're IGN. This is how we've done stuff. This is how everybody else should do stuff. And I'm like, no, like, I don't care what you've there done or who you are. Worse. Like, I mean, was, there
1: really aren't even It was worse. a
0: weird time, to say the least. So, how long have
1: you how long I were love you the running? irony, by the way, that John Davison is now like a creative person at IGN. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> him, though. No, I know. Had... No, this is years later. I just think it's just funny the way the world works in like circles, right? It's like, well, oh, John, there goes
0: this... I mean, John's worked everywhere at this point. Oh, uh, he yes. He's worked at GameSpot, uh, GameCBS Interactive, also. Yeah,
1: that's true. He's worked everywhere. Yeah. So um, how so- long was I there? So, so that was going to say, so I was only there for about six months before we spun up game trailers. I mean, God damn it, I did a <laughs> game. <again> videos. <laughs> before we drove up game videos. <laughs> it and just goes did, to show you, though, <laughs> what I was saying. It does. And when we did that, uh, Che, Che Cho, moved over to... Yeah, love to Che run. as well. He's, Che's awesome. He's like this, one of the greatest guys ever. Um, he moved over with mark to work on game videos mm-hmm. which means that we needed a uh, new managing editor and i won the interview and the rest was history so became managing editor i mean you know like that's a huge jump up i mean managing oh, yeah. editor at that's a when publication. you finally start
0: making money where you can actually like do more than just survive in california yeah. and it's a tremendous amount of work <laughs> like it's life a Tremendous
1: amount of work uh-huh. Uh huh. And, and so yeah you earn the money it's not just handed to you yeah, yeah. That was a pretty crazy. Not, That's not when it goes from, from like, hey, hey right this word. is
0: kind of a fun job to hey, this is a job.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and especially yeah. I mean, so one thing about one thing about one up was like and and if Davis, our editorial teams were still small enough that like I was managing editor plus I was still accountable for a good bit of writing. Yeah, that's
0: how I, it mean, works. I, had, you I had you don't pass off your prior duties.
1: I had, I had one up accountabilities. I always had EGM always had, st- it was at least going to be a review queue and probably had a preview to write for EGM. Yeah. And then if CGW needed fill that was there that too, we had lost official PlayStation magazine by that time. Yeah. So I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, so uh, then of course we got bought out. We then, then we lost, you know, prints going down at the same time and Ziff had a ton of print uh, debt. There's, you could, you can find out about what happened as if on it's, uh, plenty of places. You don't need that story from me, but although Ziff has survived,
0: which is I'm impressed with, well, their it's, management it's I believe, has done
1: a pretty. It's good. a different Ziff. <laughs> it is, it's but it's still there. Stuff. The names <laughs> so these there. Companies are not there anymore. It's true. Hearst bought us through UGO, which was a bizarre purchase. Yeah uh her that that's a new york company uh, they were comfortable with ugo because they had ugo was another madison avenue sort of uh marketing roll-up for the video game business yeah it wasn't uh, really an
0: editorial
1: thing no it wasn't yeah yeah it's, it, it was actually a collection of sites that they had put marketing spends against mm-hmm. uh and so they were looking for us for they just needed more inventory they were just trying to sell more inventory right yep. uh so they got rid of 80 percent of the staff and i was part of the 20 of the state yeah. Which was certainly which was heartbroken. And you like you're like, I need my job, so I have to stay, but it was it was it was bad. Meanwhile, you're that. going out
0: to drink with your buddies who lost their jobs and you're oh, yeah. staying. It's awkward, it's tough. Like when it's I worked so at GameSpot hard. and they were bought by CNET and Ziff Davis sold GameSpot to CNET. Right. CNET already had a games website called Game Center. And for the first six weeks, they shoved <laughs> us together in a room, GameSpot and Game oh, Center boy. in the same room knowing that one of us was going to get cut. And within like a week and a half, it became obvious that game center was going to be the one that got cut. And then they kept us in that room together for another four weeks. And it was the most awkward work environment I've ever been in my life. You'd be sitting there and one of the game center guys would just yell out at the top of their lungs, fuck this shit. Like, and you're just sitting there and you're like, uh, like a dead quiet room. Everyone's pecking away at their keyboards. Fuck this shit. And you're just like, oh shit. Uh, are someone gonna bring a gun in here? Like, it was bad, dude. And like, the management there couldn't figure it out and weren't like, you know what, we should probably like separate these teams or we need to move more quickly on what we're doing with Game Center. And it just languished on for like weeks and weeks. The crazy part is, I just talked to Greg Kasavin. Uh, for oh god director. wow there's a name i haven't heard yeah That's awesome
1: well you know he's a super giant now yeah, and making amazing he's games. a narrative, he's narrative director and they yeah. just landed hades and it's such a freaking killer game
0: 50 game of the year awards yeah so i just That's talked a- to him and we actually did not talk about this the awkward GameSpot game center transition where literally i was worried that someone was going to come in and like shoot up the workplace for like four weeks because really? they had been Is there for a tense? long time and you got to realize these jobs especially back then they were so like precious like to stay in the industry or have a job in the industry doing what we did, like you knew that it was a big deal, that you were very lucky. And that's why we worked so hard because you knew everybody was pining for these jobs. It's like, if you didn't like work your ass off, someone was going to take your job. Like that's pretty much how it was. And there were so many people that were up up and coming and like, it was cutthroat, like literally cutthroat. And the game center guys had, you know, they had been working hard on game center for years and like it was just going to be dissolved and they weren't having it, man. Like, people were like stealing like equipment out of their PCs, like their video. It was crazy. So anyway, on with your, your story. It,
1: it, that's a it, you raise a really good point. I mean, I think any of us, but especially folks like myself who had a really good ride, especially through the two thousands, like, yeah, we know we worked hard and we will always, you know, we, we, I will talk about like, it was hard work. We worked late. We worked all the time. And, you know, I had like, there's a reason I had a bar in my office, but yeah. Uh, but I, I make no mistake about it. I totally re- appreciate also that I had a lot of good fortune. I yeah, mean,
0: it takes some love. Every single the right place who, at the right time. Somebody yeah. hooking you up,
1: um, hooking or, you up yeah, with a or, job or just if right, you lose right a job, right, play, right? You know, like the fact that I had been managing editor, the fact that I had enough experience and background and in uh, management to like move over to be executive editor. Because then, I, then I went over and was executive editor, uh, and then like to, did what happened? While, to while you, why did one up fail?
0: Because look, there's still a lot of people that still to this day like you know the One Up Show. I'll say this: like I didn't really yeah. like the show that much, but it was groundbreaking. It was like a reality TV show so, slash like podcast slash like nobody but had done gutted anything game like that. Videos.
1: So what? UGO gut uh, in one of the odd moves, UGO when they bought when Hearst bought us through UGO, they gutted Game Videos. And one of the first moves was to get rid of all original production equipment, all original production, right? Because mm-hmm. it's time-consuming, it's expensive. They slimmed it down to uh, just Tina Sanchez and uh, and a producer. And I don't even remember who the producer was. They got rid of Ryan and Ryan's whole team because Ryan. they were expensive. O'Donnell. Okay. And they and so they, they cut that whole team, and that was I mean. To this day, they got a, it, It's bizarre that he did that, but keep in mind, UGO was also not selling. They weren't a video marketing arm. They were they were a web placement. They were looking for web traffic. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, what they were really looking for us to do, and I mean, I, I, Sam and I are really good friends, but like uh, there was a year there that he and I didn't get along very well because uh, I, they were leaning on him very hard to do specific content, like basically like clickbait content. Cause they, yeah. and then, and the kind of stuff now where you see Listicles like, lists, and... yeah, right. And it's just like, you know, we had, we had a proud reputation for the editorial content we'd done. Um, so I started looking uh, and uh, uh, I forget. I, well, so actually funny story. <laughs> this was one, this really interesting. So uh, I, myself and Steven Totillo and guy Kroll and Jeff Keeley almost launched our own website. Really? Yes. That would have been a good crew. It was. And it was a... And basically, the idea was to do game videos, but all original production video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was going to be an all-video site endeavor, but like really, you know, like very much like narrative-driven stuff, right? That's interesting because
0: Keeley at that time was working with us on game trailers and doing game trailers TV on Spike TV.
1: Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And
0: this so is right that before might it, be. Construed as a conflict of interest for Mr. Keeley at the time. Oh, I think
1: he, so. Yeah, he would have busted out. Yeah, he would have busted out. It was a good deal. So the whole the whole deal was, and we actually this is how close we got. We were papered by Sequoia. So this thing was Sequoia is a B, is a VR VR yeah. uh, uh, investment company up in up in the Bay Area uh, venture capitalists and yeah, so we got all the way to the last we got all I mean I lawyered up everyone had everyone was in we had eighteen months of Series A which mm-hmm. meant that after about twelve months we would have to go look for Series B mm-hmm. right and that's that's pretty standard no yeah. big deal they, everything was cool uh, and one of the four of us uh, at the last minute got cold feet and couldn't wouldn't sign. You're not going to say literally, who? Literally, I, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not, <laughs> I, I think if you use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> you can figure out which one it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but regardless, not it was, it was a great, it was a great opportunity. And and I, like the, the relationship built with those three folks and the, like the ideas that were shared there was really, really cool. But out of that, I met Sean Spector, who was the founder of Gamefly, and he was wanting to... He, he was looking at gamefly which of course is the by mail rental uh video game company and like hey like this is cool except yeah, it was the netflix of
0: video games back when netflix right.
1: used to send out dvds by mail right and and he looked at that and he said well you know here's the problem with netflix's model is that they don't have a community and they've done nothing like they, they become the de facto source for movie rental but there's nothing cool about it. Like, it's yeah. just all they are is a warehouse that you click on and get stuff out of. And at the time, he was buying IGN syndicated content. Uh, and he decided that he wanted to build an editorial component and be and they're like, hey, I want to build a community. Uh, yeah. So he hired me to come down there and run that. And uh, we bought Shack News as the backbone for that, which was cool. because we And we bought it specifically because... Shack News uh, had a
0: great reputation at that point. That's exactly PC, why we, it bought
1: it. But, it and we bought it. was PC-centric, but... PC-centric. But his reputation was...
0: Was Sterling. Yeah,
1: right. And I was super happy about that. And then the other thing that it had was it had this thing called chatty. And if you've ever been on Shack News, you'll know what chatty is and otherwise it won't make sense to you. But imagine it's, it's like it is not it is a 24 hour rolling message board chat stream. So imagine it, it's like it's like message board messages that are all threaded. But it rolls every 24 hours. Every message post lasts 24 hours, and it rolls on. So it's like it's like this really cool sort of like stream of consciousness, like conversation building thing. So and the community was really engaged. And we're like, this is gonna be a really cool way to build. And then we bought Moby Games to be the data set, database for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as uh, as as had been warned building websites and putting back ends together is much harder than you think it's going to be. Yeah. I have done it myself uh,
0: with Sifted.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a lot uh, of our we, we got bogged down in the we got really bogged down in how to manage consolidating the Moby Games data and the Gamefly data. Right, because the, because the, uh, the was the key thing here was to eventually we wanted to have a game page where when you, you went to rent Tekken Three or whatever you went to rent it would have like some editorial content from us, some syndicated editorial content, and then a way to rent it and put it in your queue and all that kind of stuff. Right. So for that to work, the the data backend has to be uh, put to, put together and be one data backend. And Moby's data, Moby's data backend was not in a shape to match up to the GameFly backend very well. I mean, let's
0: be uh, honest. All the websites from that era migrating data from one to another was virtually impossible. I mean, you could see it with IGN. The way IGN's backend was built, it made it very difficult for IGN to update its website yep. throughout the years. Um,
1: well, this is what. So yes, nothing was, was standardized back up. then. Yeah, that's what happened. One of the things that happened to OneUp, by the way, and and I don't know the exact history of why it completely got gone after IGN bought it, but IGN, I mean, by the OneUp, by the time OneUp went away, I mean it was held together by who knows what. Keep in mind, OneUp, one of things Sam's original deal was that you had blogs on it. Yeah. Remember we had like that whole blogging mm-hmm. system, yeah. and keeping that thing operational within a editorial publishing framework, and again linking back to games was a mess. See,
0: this is this happened to game trailers too. Um, game trailers was its own standalone site. It was great, and we yep. kept updating game trailers on its own. It was fine, uh, but at a certain point, Viacom was like, "Okay, you can't be your own website anymore. We want you yep. to migrate game trailers into this huge." thing that we have that we're running like all these websites off of for like MTV and Spike <sighs> TV and Comedy Central. And those websites were awful, but they wanted it all standardized because sure. they didn't want to have separate salespeople selling stuff just for game trailers. They wanted to sell stuff that would work across the entire network. And I mean, was, look, it literally, for what you know, game now
1: trailers. And, but for what you know now they actually needed that. Yeah, they needed the inventory consolidation. Yeah. But But it killed game trailers because when
0: we migrated over the day we turned the switch, we lost 30,000 redirects oh, just like that. So all the SEO that we had built on, it's all gone. And literally, like our traffic went dropped like 80 percent in one day and it was too late to go back. It literally killed game trailers. So I Mm. totally understand where you're coming from.
1: Wow, that's heavy.
0: It is heavy. And I had to, I was forced to work on it, knowing it was going to happen the whole and you time guys probably, for you like probably, 18
1: months. You called that out for them and they just decided to. Not
0: yeah, well, really that, yeah, I'm just the, the games guy.
1: You know, I'm not the guy
0: who's working <laughs> in adops ops and all these departments that they were listening to. I'm like the guy on game trailers who's who's holding on to the past mm. and, you know unwilling to change, stop uh, holding onto the past, bro. Right. And unwilling <laughs> to move into this new few. And look, I understood their perspective. I was just telling them, I'm like, you need to put all your websites on our backbone instead of vice versa. Yeah. Cause their websites weren't doing squat dude. Game trailers traffic was like all their websites combined. Like we were doing more traffic than all their websites combined. And instead of putting their stuff onto our backbone, it went the other way and it killed game trailers, literally killed it. So I totally understand where you're coming from there. Sounds like an airline merger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not all that dissimilar, for sure. So so one up goes away. You move to
1: TeamFly, yep. and you yep, move to L.A. And you move to L.A., LA get that. So, which so is how we ended up becoming friends, because finally yeah. you are down here. Yep. So that editorial gets spun up, and it's all working. But basic reality is we figure out that, okay, we're not going to be able to combine this stuff, but we'll build an editorial system. I get the editorial system going. It's running pretty well. And to be honest, I'm like, I've done this. I'm kind of like starting to get a little restless because you know, it's just, it's just doing the same thing. Yeah. And at the exact same time was when Microsoft was saying, it was telling people quietly that they were moving to a locked digital system. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. There are no more, no more discs. Yeah. No more game, no more used games, no more yeah. game rental, mm-hmm. no more game rental.
0: Well, actually, and, what was it like? I want to g- spin back a little bit. What was it like working at game fly? We're, and do running editorial because there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there where they I don't really know.
1: It, it, what,
0: there is no never a, any undue influence yeah. on you where they were like, You're you know it, what? You need to promote this game more than others because we've ordered a ton of these and then we need to get these this game
1: rented. No, if anything, like if that. anything, they came to us and were like, what games like back? It was almost harkening back to like electronics boutique. Like the buyer would come to us and be like, hey, I've got X thousands of this game ordered. Do you think I'm going to be OK?
0: Gotcha. OK. So they were doing it the right way. They were listening yeah. to to help them to figure out how many to buy essentially. Yeah. Oh, good. Sean,
1: I mean, okay. Sean's a big time gamer. He's an, besides being a good entrepreneur. He's a big time gamer. Now, the funny thing was Sean had stepped aside from running it as often happens in venture capitalists started things. The, yeah. the, 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 original the founder entrepreneur founder shoved out. Yeah. He didn't get shoved out. He just took like the biz dev side. So when it looked like, when it looked like the consoles were going to be digitally locked, mm-hmm. uh, and this is, still again, hasn't I, happened. <laughs> remember, I knew them through Sequoia. So Gamefly is a Sequoia-funded business. Uh-huh. Sequoia started getting cold feet and worrying that, oh, my God, what are you guys going to do? Because if your main revenue stream goes away, we're going to have a bunch of money invested in Gamefly and be dead. Uh-huh. So they pumped some cash into Gamefly and gave us the opportunity to try game development. And so we took a two-pronged approach. Do you know Andy Swanson. Mm, uh, I probably know him, he, I don't know two, him but I know but of you know him, him. he's been switching stuff yeah. and so he and I were working together uh he he led the effort well, we bought direct drive. Remember the old direct drive yeah store? probably the- not a good idea. <laughs> Well, I mean, so we bought that in order to have a digital storefront. Steam at the time was not the juggernaut it is today. I mm-hmm. mean, Steam, Steam was still trying to deal with the whole, like, people being pissed off that the Steam client doesn't run right and people mm-hmm. being pissed off at the Steam client being like like in their computer, which now we love, but, you know, which... whatever. <laughs> <Again>. <laughs> Times change. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, and then I was given a, I was like, this is like the dream job. I was given a bag of money and told to go make some mobile games. At Gamefly. So, yeah. Yeah. And why yeah, so, why
0: would why would they want to do that?
1: Uh, we wanted to do that because it was the dawn. It was Did like you say. We the, was that your idea to do this? It was Sean Spector's idea, and and he knew me well enough, and he thought he, he's like. It, and also, he's so he's funny. He's a former uh, CAA guy, uh, and he's like he's like you, he's like you can do this. He's like I've seen talent people before. He's like you get it. He's CAA like, is a talent a, agency for those who don't. Oh, know. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, you know, how he's like, you know, how to you know, you know, you know how to look at this stuff. You know how to judge a deal. I'll have your back as far as like the deal writing stuff. Go, We, we can, we can give this a go because it was right at the era, like free to play hadn't really taken hold yet. It was the first era of like premium games. Right. And we all thought, wow, man, the iPhone's going to be like the gaming platform of the future. You're right, <laughs> right? though. I mean, it is we were right but we got so we so we got slaughtered twofold it takes from the time that i started with a hey i've got some money to go look for games to having my first three games signed and in production was about 20 months yeah that's too long yeah because but But that's how long it takes (laughs) that's how long it takes and during that time csr racing came out And and you know, and the whole world started to change. And uh oh god, what was the Boom Beach predecessor? Garnet, I remember
0: you pushing these games on me, by the way. <laughs> you <laughs> would be Like, hey, here's this new mobile game that I'm working on over here at Gamefly, like check it out. And I was like,
1: What are you doing, Garnet? making <laughs> making mobile games. <laughs> to be fair, I mean I learned a lot. I learned yeah, yeah, a Yeah, lot. Sure. Man. I'm sure I you mean, did. It yeah. was a great way to learn. Um, we made three good games. I mean, all of our games had good reviews. It's just uh, we were trying to make premium games as the world was changing. Mm-hmm. The last game, uh, Song Blaster, we tried to move.
0: I remember over. that one. Yeah, that's we the one I actually it. stuck with. I think the most of all the ones you sent over to me. It was a fun game. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a it was a mix of what we like. It was a mix of music and gaming. And so
1: yeah. it, it resonated with me more than the others. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, in hindsight, I was I was stupid to let. The management, t- t- I was stupid to let myself and Sean be tricked into thinking that we could take a game that was designed to be a premium game and turn it into a free to play game mm-hmm. because free to play is an economy. Like, you know, all the systems it needs, it just wasn't built for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyway, long story short, it was, and then we got hit blindsided with Sony like pulling the carpet out from underneath Microsoft and saying, by the way, there's going to be discs. Yeah. And so now GameFly isn't interested in any of the stuff we're doing anymore. So it sells direct to drive, says those three games are all you're making, and boots Andy and I out the door.
0: So why would they That's boot how... you out the door instead of just putting you back on editorial? Because
1: because I had built it. Because the editorial thing was running like a clock. I had built it to where it was running great. It didn't need it didn't need a, a paid a person at my level to run it anymore. It was doing oh. its thing. The editorial team was doing its thing. They were they were awesome. Zav was there, like they were doing their thing. They're on top of their business. News. And while yeah, you were Shaq there, you launched Weekend Confirmed, right? That is true. We also launched Weekend Confirmed, which I kept going the whole time. Also,
0: that now uh, that was kind of your crowning achievement editorially at GameFly. I
1: would argue, yeah. I people always say it's like I don't know. So there's one up yours. There's listen up. No, I mean while you were there, while you oh, were while GameFly. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, I was sure. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was like that's. I was on that really show had. a couple
0: times. It was fun. You guys had a nice studio. Fun. I w- I remember I would go in there and I'd be like. Where are they getting the money for this shit? Like
1: (laughs) okay, so it was like a legit
0: like recording studio. And like you'd have to like key card me to get in. And I was like, what is like where's this money coming from for this stuff?
1: So this is like you'll appreciate this as an LA guy. Again, Sean, former CAA guy. Uh CAA guys are talent agents. Talent agents people know people in the business. So that studio we were using was Atlantis Group Studios, right? Mm -hmm. And they had like some. They had basically free space that they gave to us on that Thursday evening for like dirt cheap. For dirt cheap. I, I still
0: mean. have a weekend confirmed T-shirt from the last time I was on the show. I think I may have been on the last episode or like the next oh, really? to last episode. Yeah, before you anyway, moved on it- and they they folded the show. And once
1: we started doing it, once we started doing it, you remember the engineering team there like they liked doing it. So mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they and they all ran they ran and owned the studio themselves. So they I mean, they kept the deal they kept the deal going. It was fun. We always had a good time and then, you know, we'd always go out for drinks and stuff afterwards and mm-hmm. Uncle Gamefly would pay. So you know it was just that was a it was crazy that's literally a studio where like platinum records and shit had been oh recorded. i know
0: that's why i said <laughs> like i've worked i have worked it at mtv for like eight years i knew what like good facilities were and i walked in there i was like what the hell <laughs> is going guy, on here, man? like we're really gonna record a podcast about video games <laughs> in here like
1: it was awesome yeah it was so ridiculous i was like damn this
0: <laughs> is bougie like what's going on here garnet like you guys got some mob money or something like <laughs>
1: No, no mob money, but yeah, it was pretty boosh. It was pretty boosh, was wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, it was. Yeah. So you left Gamefly, yeah. and then you got a job at Amazon. What was your first gig at Amazon?
1: Oh, man. So uh, I went up there to do indie game scouting and like basically new, new game finding for Fire TV. Okay, right? so
0: they were looking for exclusive games for Fire TV or just <sighs> anything? Really look, just stuff that they we could sign looking- to the service.
1: Yeah, basically. So you know, Fire TV was a Android-based box for the television, right? Yeah. And so the idea was like, this is the era of, uh, this is the era of, uh, just after Ouya, right? And so yep. Ouya had made a pretty big splash.
0: <laughs> it did, and then it splatted. <laughs>
1: well, then it splatted, right? Uh, but what it demonstrated was that especially during that era which is the early era of Indies unity games would run like awesome on an Android based box yep and so uh, we had openGL on there so we were able actually to go out and talk to developers and say hey we can bring you over to the platform we I can, I can give you white label support in other words I can give, I can put some engineers against helping you get your title ported over to our to our box no you, like we don't have a huge install base today but really it's not going to cost you anything to get over here Alpha Marketing against it and the marketing will be on Amazon. So even if you don't sell on Fire TV, you're gonna get some more recognition for your title. Isn't this a decent deal? Um, and so uh, we took that a little way. So I was working with uh, Lenny Simon, Tyler Cooper, John Sacrani, like but really cool team. Uh, but very quickly we came up against the wall, which was that uh, we were working for a content team, but the hardware was made by a hardware team and those weren't the same teams yeah. and we're in the same buildings at Amazon. Oh. And so uh, we didn't really have any support. <laughs> so
0: You didn't know well, what
1: they wanted and you didn't have the
0: resources to secure.
1: And we could have all the great ideas in the world that we wanted, but at the end of the day, the only thing that mattered was selling hardware. And the reason they were selling hardware was to get people to play Amazon video on their televisions. Yeah. So the reason they were doing games was because somewhere along the lines, Jeff Bezos had said, I think games are really important. And so people were like, games are really important. We need to do games. And so they're like, cool, we're going to keep doing some games, but they weren't, their hearts weren't in it. I mean, this is not, and, and, and the problem was uh, like, I was saying in some
0: cases that can be a good position to be in
1: where you're working for
0: a company like Amazon, presumably pulling in a pretty nice salary, and you're just kind of flying under the radar, and no one's really holding you accountable, and no one's expecting you know, anything.
1: Yeah, except for the fact that you want to do something, man. You yeah, don't want to be it's like not a, a very bump fulfilling way to
0: go yeah. about your day to day. And yeah.
1: plus, and plus, like we had, we, I mean, we believed in what we were doing. Like there was a really cool moment there because, I mean, to keep in mind, PC games, PC games, and PC gaming is always expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's you, you can't justify buying a, you can't justify buying two thousand dollars worth of computer to play a 14.99 indie game. Yeah. Well, I mean at least it's hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, but you can sure as hell justify buying a $99 box to play 99 14.99 indie games.
0: You're beating Pactor's thought- drum right now, Garnet. This is Pactor. This is one of Pactor's favorite lines that he uses all the time. He right. thinks he thinks that like Amazon like Fire TV or was going to is going to take over gaming. Like he believes that eventually they're going to have a GPU well, and a CPU built into those things. And eventually, they're going to be like how a lot of people play games instead of buying consoles and things like that.
1: Only, only if the that's no, not going to be out. You know, it wouldn't happen at Amazon. I don't think it would happen at Amazon, because the reality is that so like like here. So here's some of the fundamental problems. Some of the problems we ran into. Number one, Fire TV is this box. It's meant for game for streaming video, right? Mm-hmm. Prime Video is the main attraction there, right? So when you turn on your Fire TV, you're going to see. Uh, a bunch of movies. You're going to see a bunch of television shows. You're going to see Amazon originals. You hear mm-hmm. what you're not seeing games. Yeah. You're not seeing games yeah. and you're not going to convince anyone in Amazon senior management to take anything out of that top scroll and put games into it. You're just not. And matter of fact, it, it's so buried that you would in fact have to go down and start the Amazon app store and then open the app store. And then you could look at games. So they're not even in a, they're not even in a horizontal channel. Uh, we went through a design exercise with a really awesome uh, designer there to like build an alternate UI because one of the pitches that we gave was Hey, what if when you bought your Fire TV, you could choose which front end you wanted? You could be like, hey, I'm primarily a movie watcher. I want to see movies. I'm right. primarily a gamer. I want to see games. And while all of that makes sense to us, no, because they don't want to take the emphasis away from the fact that it's a video box, right?
0: Well, Amazon Prime is their bread and butter. And it is. most people get Prime for the free shipping, but also for Amazon Prime video. So you're, I can and, understand Amazon's stance on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And everything that they do is about signing people up for Prime. Yep. Right, because it puts them, it puts you in the ecosystem, right? Well, so,
0: it means you're giving them $140, $150 a year,
1: <laughs> right? But I mean, you can do the math in your head pretty easily that you can get more than $140 worth of value out of Amazon Prime if you didn't buy anything else from them. But the reality is, if you're in Amazon That's tough, Prime. Though. Uh, I mean, many... Unless
0: you think, because look, I don't think that Amazon's video is equal to Netflix. So would I subscribe to Amazon Prime Video if it wasn't wrapped into Man in the High Castle? Probably not.
1: Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No,
0: no. I mean, I know there are exceptions, obviously, but I probably wouldn't. What subscribe I'm saying is like
1: sp- it costs a lot of money to make those productions. I know. Right? I know. I know. So if you look at the cost it puts to, to, to get those productions, plus the cost it takes for them to have the like the number of movies and shows they have that are free Yeah. plus the shipping benefits. They, they're not making money off of prime from that. They're making money off of prime because they know that once you're a prime member, you're going to buy way more stuff from them than if you're not. Yeah. because of the know? free shipping. Yeah. Right. So because once you're once your name, once your name is, I would be willing to bet you. I mean, I, I was not privy to any of this stuff, but I would be willing to bet you that once you become a prime member, you all but stop shopping anywhere else.
0: Pretty much. And I would also argue that the cut rate is probably really low. Like, I don't think once you become like once you're a prime member, I don't think a lot of people drop prime because again it makes your life it changes your life you don't have to shop anymore you can just buy everything and it shows up on your doorstep a day later like it's that you're absolutely right you end up buying everything from amazon from that point forward i do i mean awfully and if it's not at amazon i'm surprised and i will go somewhere else like costco or whatever uh but if it's if it's for sale on amazon i'll buy it from amazon once you're in in the prime ecosystem so the
1: thing is a game console is not really going to drive that ecosystem for them yeah and that's the problem with it, and so okay. that's why that's why it was always tough. So when they went to make a Fire TV second version, they wanted to upgrade the hardware capabilities. Upgrading the hardware capabilities was great, except they decided to make their own chip, and when they did, they went to a different uh, they went to power VR rendering instead of OpenGL, which meant that all the games that we had had to be re had to have all their uh, compression libraries redone. Oh, jeez. So basically, that was the end of Fire TV Gaming, at least for the initiatives we had done. Uh, yep. So most of us moved on. That was when I went over to the engine. That's when you uh, started
0: working on Lumberyard, correct? Yeah. yeah. Which so was Dan Amazon's Winters, engine that it was hoping would end up competing with Unreal and Unity and all these other engines. Uh,
1: yes, sort of.
0: I mean, I mean well, then what was the point of it, if not that?
1: Uh, the point of it was, again, think about think about things in terms of Amazon. Amazon wanted to have an engine because if you build on Amazon's engine, you're more than likely going to use Amazon AWS. Web Services. Exactly. <laughs> see, yeah. uh-huh. that's again, and so it's a so that's where the play was. Uh, and building a game engine is really hard. Like that again, this is yes. so like that's
0: why Unreal has been around for twenty some years. Yeah, like, it takes that long to build all the libraries and all the tools
1: and right. Yeah. So the reason that they bought, and, and there was some misunderstanding, they didn't buy a CryEngine. They bought a fork of it, and they mm. bought the fork just for the rendering engine. Oh. So so in other words, like there's all these systems. There's like network system, there's AI, there's scripting, the animation, but rendering's a big one, right? And CryEngine always looked great. They're like, cool, we'll just buy the crytech rendering engine, and we can focus on other parts, right? Mm-hmm. The problem was, by the time they started, when they started bolting other parts on and messing around with the engine and tearing the guts out of it, they still very quickly, like the, like, like the the usability of Lumberyard, like if it started here, like just started going like this because as we were adding functionality to it and, and improving it, we were actually making the thing not work. Yeah. I've also heard
0: that CryEngine is a piece of junk. I mean, you would know better than me. But... No, it's not a piece of junk. It's not. It's
1: definitely. It's just super hard. It's it is it is a programmer's programming language or engine that was written by a company to do their games, but also sold because it makes for beautiful games. I mean, look, everyone built to the, everyone's gone to the raptures on that engine, and it's one of the reasons the thing looks so damn beautiful. It was a very powerful rendering engine, but its tool set, which is what the a day-to-day uh, engineer works with, was just not there. Yeah, you know, it's just, it was a really tough engine to work with. And that's well, that's why people, so I guess, I mean, people will, will, will say it's a piece of junk, but it's not that the engine is a piece of junk. It's that working with it, I mean, you need to have a 250 person team who has, you know, a sizable number of those people devoted to, to building your tool set. You know, you and, need to be Infinity Ward or something.
0: Right. And then Amazon moves into game development, it begins <laughs> yeah. to try to create its own original games, which has at this point been pretty much an unmitigated disaster why do you think that is garnet why why can why is it that huge companies like amazon or google cannot figure out how to wrangle internal development
1: because the two big companies that are doing it and this is why like i i worked in and around those teams but definitely decided not to go you know when i left amazon it was to leave amazon and not to go down any of those paths is because i've seen enough and i can tell you I, I would bet you it's the same problem at google these are big tech companies and big tech companies have become successful by moving very fast and by moving in tech spaces and tech space and, and while and this is the misconception. And if you go back to like video games early days, like when we were first looking, when we were first writing about games, when you we were first writing about games at GameSpot or wherever, uh, it's like everyone wanted you to write reviews like tech reviews, right? Yeah. How good are the graphics? How well is the performance done? Because it was thought of as a as an app, right? Yep. And Google and Amazon think of games as software apps, and they don't they don't get the creative side of it. And so they don't understand why they can look at a project to build a you know complex data stream analysis system that puts stuff into like a, a, a AI net that understands how to analyze data points in 18 months, but they can't build a game that fast. Yeah. And it's because one of them is an engineering and logic problem. And one of them is an engineering Creative and logic problem. W- and an engineering and logic problem. It's both. Yeah. And that's the thing. And so then when they have their senior leadership who have been on top of uh, programming projects and have seen how to run them rapidly, they try to take the same approaches. And so they do a lot of go-no-goes. They do a lot of deep dives. And you wind up with people who are have never been in the game industry or don't have a deep appreciation of the game industry, looking at gray boxes. Have you ever looked at gray box games? And gray yeah. boxing is like where, you, so gray boxing is basically where you've got uh, primitives inside. <laughs> how to make this not sound too techy. Uh, so <laughs> primitives that, inside the gray box. So imagine you you've got a bunch of act, act so actors are like the objects inside you've got a bunch of things, you got you got a game, but the game doesn't have any of the visuals yet. It's just things. It's just my it might be off-the-shelf assets, it might be a basic environment. So it's but like it doesn't when, look...
0: Miyamoto says when he works on a Mario game, Mario starts out as just a box and moves around. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So you've just got that stuff. And if you can't look at that and understand what it's going to look like in eighteen months. Then it's really you're like, wow, we're paying 150, 200 people to work on this. What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. So then, what happened after the first round of people getting put down and like moved on or shuffled around or Kim, Kim leaving and all that kind of stuff, is that then then the teams get scared. Kim who? Swift. Okay. Remember she had come over and was going to build a narrative game and and she stayed around for a while. She went over to Twitch for a while actually to try and help with content, but that's a whole other subject. Uh, anyway. Um, what happens is the teams get scared and so then they start building really arted out vertical slices but this is a this is a really bad trap now because let's say you're building this big uh, like so let's say we're building breakaway because they were building breakaway Mm -hmm. and you have this entire concept for for an esports game but you need a two-minute clip to show an executive to get them to understand how the game works and so the gray bar
0: isn't going to work.
1: <laughs> right. So so now you go almost to final visuals, but you really haven't worked out a bunch of the design parts yet. And you haven't figured out exactly all the things that you're going to do. But you have to throw stuff in there. You're like, I got to throw some cool stuff in there. I got to get their attention. I got to make it look cool. And either one, either you land it and it looks cool. And then you have to figure out how to make it work like that. So or you're it doesn't games land.
0: in reverse, essentially, at these big tech totally. companies is what you're saying.
1: Yes, that's the worst way to
0: build a game
1: and never allowing the people who are the experts who are. It's like you went out and hired these really great designer people like Ian Vogel, uh, who had worked on Bioshock, and you let them do their thing just long enough to get almost there. And then you're like, I don't know. It's not working. Let's go a different direction. Mm hmm. (laughs) Because they're used to these products being built very quickly, and they're 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 used to a much faster iteration cycle, which mm-hmm. is the way that is the way that tech tech uh, clients work, right? I mean, yep. like you've like look at how fast any of the things that you use in your or, like Dropbox or Twitter or whatever, like this like you can just crank out updates to it, right? Yeah, and you can add functionality, you can take functionality away, you can improve, you can, you just are changing this thing all the time, but that's not the way a game works. Yeah especially not a big game it's also i would argue
0: you know we talk all the time on game base about games that do or do not have a soul (laughs) and i and it's like this ambiguous thing that's kind of hard to explain but i would argue that a game the chance of a game having a soul developing it in the manner that you're that you're suggesting amazon try to approach it it, it's never going to happen
1: it's tough it's tough you get a lot and 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 that's a, that's a, that would be another problem, and I would imagine that Google's had that as well, is that they are super data reliant. And so that means they're going to be constantly looking at how long are people playing? How long are they doing this? How long is this activity taking? And you know when you work in a creative uh, game space around, especially on game design, The way a player picks up and plays the game the first day is not the way the player picks up and plays the game five days later. Mm -hmm. But you do need to understand, like, I think there is a great space for telemetry in games. If you are able to ask the right, it's like anything else with data. You can make it say anything you want it to. You can
0: manipulate data to make it
1: say whatever you want. You can manipulate it to make it say anything. Or if you don't know what you're looking at, you can make all kinds of wrong assumptions. And I think that's what happens a lot is they just look at it. They get impatient and they make bad decisions. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people working on Lost World. I really hope for them. I hope for their sakes that it comes together. It was, you, but think Lost it World, I, you know, I, I, Shane, I was playing betas of Lost World before I left Amazon three years ago. Wow. So, so I should take that as a no. I, I just don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I I, I think that its I think that for the sort of game it is and as we've seen in early access games, I mean I've got a game in our stable that we're working on that we're about to put in, we're going to put into early access and we're going to put it into early access because we want to know more. Yeah. Like it, it, we want players to play it. it's not perfect like it, but players understand that. You can't polish things into a perfected like diamond, especially not with a lot of subsystems and just say like here it is, it's perfect. yeah Dota was not dota on day one
0: yeah that's so. for sure I mean, I mean you can look at a lot of games like guys again i was just talking to greg cassava and he was talking about hades and i asked him i'm like you know so they the did game, early access yeah the game was in early access for a really long time and i was like did that were you concerned that when the actual release date quote unquote comes for the game that the excitement the punch that you usually get from release day is gone And he's like, no, he's like, because you've worked with these players for so long, you know what they're expecting and you know that they've helped you get it to this place where we're ready to premiere the game to people who, because look, let's be honest, the vast majority of people who buy games have not, they don't have anything to do with early access. They may not even know it exists. All they know is this hot game just released and everyone's talking about it. And those are the people where that early access period really pays the dividends for. So it's a different time. Than it was, and 10, 15 and you know, years know
1: that's ago. exactly like, like Valheim is so successful. Like yes. look at Valheim, Valheim Another is like example. the visuals of it are not the thing. It's the game, and it's the fact that players are in there and playing it, and the developers seeing how they're playing it and understanding. Like they they now know exactly what to do for the next eighteen months of development.
0: And, and Greg awesome. also brought up too that you know a lot of times you do your early access on PC, and yeah. then you use the release day to release it on the consoles, and so. True. It hits this whole new audience that didn't even know it existed and it's all polished and it's great. It's in it a can- much better state. Yeah. And then the sales just explode. Like they released um, Hades on Switch the day it went 1.0 and boom. It's important.
1: <laughs> it, it's especially important for smaller teams. I mean, you know, like the largest games that we work with as indie developers. And I mean, look, Raw Fury, Raw Fury is yeah, Let's rewind not
0: make- here. So you left Amazon. And yeah, yeah. Went to Raw Fury. You now live in Sweden. Well, I took a
1: year off. <laughs> You didn't you well, take, I didn't a, year take a year off. My, my plan was to take, my plan was I was kind of burned up. I was going to take a year off. Um, and after after like a summer of adventure and stuff, I was already getting anxious and getting the itch and people were talking. And uh, so longtime friend, Jonas Antonsen, who I'd met uh, years prior uh, when he was at Paradox and then had started Raw Fury. Uh, and he had always told me about the dream and the, like this, that this company is like, it's the indie game development ut- utopia. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Uh, we are, we're, we are, we genuinely, like, I, I don't want to market us too much, uh, cause that's not what this is about, but like, go ahead. Genuinely do, I mean, you've taken we, the time do, to come on the show. We, we do what we say. It like, we, we, the develop, when we enter into an agreement with a developer, the developer runs the show. I, am we're the, like the only publisher that I know of that we, we have no controlling, uh, we, we don't have anything in our contracts that allows us to tell developers what to do. So we're not able to, like, when we talk to them, like I do, so I'm, my job is like marketing product sort of brand person, right? So, you know, I'm playing the games a lot and giving a lot of feedback to developers and, you know, the sort of stuff that like hit detection and so forth does. Like, Mm -hmm. I can tell my developers, hey, I think that this would be a really great way to change, you know, the focus of the way this character interacts with the world. Or I think this would be a really great uh, addition to the skill system. And we'll talk those things through. And it's actually awesome because the fact that they know that they don't have to listen to a word that I say means, means that we actually have design conversations. Like we actually right. talk about design, like we do game design. Uh, but at the same time, it also means that a lot of times they're just like, nope, not going to do that. Mm-mm. And it's like, okay cool (laughs) but it's tough i mean i'm not gonna lie it's tough for me too because as as the per like i wouldn't bring it you've been evaluating
0: games for like 20 years
1: (laughs) and i wouldn't bring it to the developer if i didn't think it was a really good idea yeah at the same time like it's it is their baby and you we i i love that we love honor and respect that so Uh that's really cool and uh, and uh that i mean that's really it it's it's amazing place to work it's an amazing place to work we a lot of our games, we wind up uh, letting we let the developers push the release dates back. We help them continuing their funding. We now, try you guys to make sure... are
0: you guys are signing games, but also developing games internally. Is that right?
1: No, actually, one of the things we don't do is we we're we're staunchly not doing any of our own development. Okay. Yeah, we don't. So but you're just so strictly one... a publisher. Yeah, because it creates a weird. It creates like we don't ever like again back to that thing. We don't. We would never want a developer to work with us and think but are you guys actually giving your own team a better deal? Like, do oh, they get God, the A yeah. team? It's a
0: conflict of yeah. interest,
1: yeah. Yeah, we went with them. to. So uh, the, well, the one game that did come to us was the Kingdoms games. So the Kingdoms games got really successful, and the developer really wanted to go on. And he's like, we're like, we, you can do way more games with this. Like, this IP is successful now. And he's like, but I don't want to. I want to go do something different. Hmm. So uh, Raw Fury has the IP, and the team... Do you guys
0: own really the IP for the games that you sign generally?
1: You no, never. As a matter okay. of fact, that's another thing. We never, so our deals, we never, we never own the IP. The developer always keeps the IP, and we never do write. Uh, we never do like psych sequel rights. The only thing we have is we often will get like a first refusal ask, but mm-hmm. it's just an ask. Uh, so anyway, long story short is that the Kingdoms team uh, became its own studio, and it's separate. And they founded their own studio because again, we didn't. We have a raw free studio. But Raw Fury Studio for us is a porting team. So basically, oh, okay. it's a bunch of in- so basically, we we asked we, the way development works for us is uh, game. You're, you, let's say Shane's making a game. We ask you to make a game in PC format, and so you build in Unity or Unreal or Game Maker, or whatever you want to build in, uh, and you deliver a build for PC, and then we talk about what other platforms we want it to go on, and we use porting partners, our porting team, to put it out on those part on those platforms.
0: How cutthroat is it signing indie games? Like are you constantly competing with 504 games and all these other indie publishers to get that game? Like, I mean awesome question. Is there are there bidding wars? Like how does that all play out?
1: I I think that it probably is that way i don't you know i don't know I, it, it probably there probably are bidding wars for some of the other outlets like
0: there are, are there are events that don't... you go to where a bunch of indie developers show up and demo <sighs> their games and like a bunch of publishers come and like you guys all check them Shane, out we don't have to do that time? anymore
1: we got we got over 2000 pitches into our pitch portal last year damn like we're not we're not we're not short for pitches yeah so i think that part of the reason that we don't have to like like we work i mean so, i guess that would be
0: e3 wouldn't it <laughs> where all the developers no, i mean there's some and, of
1: that there's some of that it's more, it's more gdc but also yeah, bit summit different indie games summits like that mm-hmm. um we're also we're a, we're a company is run on a process or a, a system called holacracy so there's no structure in the company Everybody is on equal standing from CEO through the entire company. Mm -hmm. And when we go to sign games, like we have a couple of folks who uh, are primary scouts, but everybody in the company looks at games and we talk about them and we only sign games that we really love. Like we don't sign them for, we don't sign them for commercial potential. We sign them because we're like, damn, we we should make this game. This is really cool. Or it has a cool story. I mean, assuming that
0: nine times out of 10, that's also going to result in commercial success. I mean...
1: Not necessarily. Really? I
0: mean, like, so you would intentionally take on a game that you know is going to have limited commercial appeal?
1: We would intentionally take on a game that we were in love with, even if it didn't appear to have tremendous commercial appeal.
0: It's like a Katamari Damacy type deal where you look she, at without it and you're doubt, like, man, yeah. I can't imagine a lot of people really wanting to buy this, but it's really cool. And maybe it will catch fire, like one of those kind of deals.
1: Well, I mean, the next thing we would do actually is we would say, hey, we're a bunch of industry professionals and we've been around a block a few times. It is is our job to help that developers be successful because if we think it's really cool, then why the hell is it not going to be commercially successful? Because if, yeah. if, we, if, like, if we know what the hell we're talking about and we really like this game, then it ought to be successful. So then it's sort of on my shoulders to be, wow, figure out how to talk about this game, figure out how to show it to people, figure out how to get, help the developer build it into something that will work uh, because it ought to be, and that's what we do.
0: And speaking of pushing those games, you have a podcast, a new podcast. I uh, do. Well, it's good is, this segue. Your, is this your first podcast since uh, Weekend Confirmed?
1: Uh it is. Yeah, it is called, indeed. Music. I did
0: the title is Games, Potatoes and Spatulas,
1: correct? <laughs> yes, that is, <laughs> explain. Yeah, that is please explain game, that. Games, potatoes, so... and spatulas. Uh, so again, Rafi, dude, I'm telling you, this place is awesome. It's a this this place is a madhouse of a bunch of game people who like indie games and get to make games. Uh, so uh we did a thing a while ago, like potatoes and spatulas are just kind of two random things that we think are cool. Uh, okay. and we make, we, at some point in time we're probably going to do some cooking on so we do it as a stream that we record and put on a podcast and we have like a little kitchen we're setting up so that we can make like potato No treats. way
0: <laughs> Where can people find the podcast Garnet?
1: Uh it's all over the place now so it's uh we're hosting on Libsyn so it's uh the RSS feed is what is it uh gps gpsrawfury.libsyn.com okay. it's on Apple Podcasts it's on uh it's on the Spotify thing on I think Spotify it's on Google. Thing? It should be on, it's Google on like now. Apple it,
0: Podcasts and everything. Yeah,
1: it's, it's it's on the Apple. It's on the Apple syndication service. I've been pushing uh I got like a three or four more episodes that are finished. But yeah, within the next week or so we'll be up to normal. We record every Thursday night at uh twenty one hundred Central European time. And we do that on Twitch. Uh, so that's like one o'clock in the afternoon there in the West and, Coast.
0: And four PM East Coast time. Yeah. What's yeah. your yeah.
1: Twitch channel for that? Let's see it's, uh twitch dot Okay twitch.tv twitch, slash raw twitch, fury twitch tv twitch.tv slash raw, raw fury. fury you'll put it all in your show notes right absolutely for sure
0: um awesome. and and is it all is it games or is it games and cooking or it's, is, it not, is it no games at
1: all so it's me and Jonas who have been friends for a long time uh we have, so i you know look i pulled some of the benchmarks that i have done before so we do a what you've been playing st- segment okay. i love talking about news and topics so we do that uh i'm we, I, look i'm Are you allowed to talk
0: about other publishers' games and stuff?
1: Uh, What do you mean allowed? We don't we don't actually talk about any of our own games. We are nine episodes in, we have not talked about a single one of our games.
0: That's it's really cool that Raw Fury allows you to do that. Because
1: you know as well as I do that
0: if you watch a Nintendo podcast, they're not talking about PlayStation games or Xbox games, or if you're watching a Sony podcast, they're not talking about Nintendo and Microsoft stuff.
1: We really believe, I mean, this like I we sound like crazy people, but we really believe in indie games. And if we can, if this pod, if look at my ability to like build a podcast can work out again and we can build a podcast that's great for indie games, that's amazing. As a matter of fact, I just gave an invitation on this week's show and I'll say it here again. If you have any developers, if you're an indie game developer and you would like us to talk about your game on our show, uh, send me an email, potatopotato potato, at rawfury.com. That's the email. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, and I mean look, we we and again, I have to be I have to my uh, legal said I have to say that we are not making an offer to uh, publish or promote your game or any of that kind of stuff. But just want to we'll talk be about glad. It. We'll yeah, and yeah, give you feedback. We can help you with develop your pitch, uh, all that kind of stuff. We're here. That's we. We love indie games. We can only publish so many of them a year. Like I said, we got two thousand pitches last year. There's a lot of That's games insane. out there that deserve. They deserve love, and so we're gonna get them love. That's great.
0: Um, and then we ask every guest on three night weekend, what are they playing, what are they ah. watching, and what are they drinking this weekend.
1: Uh, so uh, I'm playing Loop Hero right now. This two weeks in a row. That's yeah,
0: a, that, well, that's the game playing. that uh, Greg said he was playing last week.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's, it's really cool because it the mechanics element of it really clicks, and it just it's just d- 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 it's totally drenched in like this nostalgia. Uh, I also started playing BattleTech, uh, which you know every so often you got to tromp around on a giant robot and blow stuff up. Yeah. Uh, what am I watching? Uh, Kate and I are going to watch. Uh, uh, I think we're going to watch Frida tonight. We decided okay. we were going to do like a, a, a mexican movie night so we're doing i think we watch frida and i'm drinking water drinking water, water. huh yeah i told you I told how you have, you how I have do...
0: your drinking habits been through the pandemic because garnet i have not oh. had a drop of alcohol since february 28th of last year It's now been over a year since That's i've awesome. had a drop of alcohol
1: and what about you have you been
0: drinking through I, the I, pandemic?
1: And... Oh yeah, we, I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. It's yeah. up and down. <laughs> I would say that. I would say that. Uh, up and down, and then moving here, uh, Swedish drinking is really interesting because the all the alcohol is sold through a state store. It's like Pennsylvania. And the state, and the state yeah, the state store is only open <laughs> till like eight p.m. on weekdays. Also, three like Pennsylvania. Three o'clock on Saturday and closed on Sundays. So yeah, it's it, it, coupled with pandemic drinking. Like what, the problem is we, we did a really like, conservative country yes and no it's just quiet it's just quiet but on the weekend people do drink a lot and have fun and all that kind of stuff but what we found was we is like you would go and because you had to go to the store and stock up you inevitably had more booze in your house than you really wanted <laughs> yeah. and then you wound up drinking it um so we're just taking a break and okay. i don't know where I, you know I don't I don't know where that comes. Back. I, I would say I have my I am a cheating a little bit because Thursday night when Jonas and I do our podcast, we drink beers because okay. part of the whole part of the whole thing is like hanging out guys, hanging out, drinking beers and talking games and, and politics. And well, you don't actually we don't do politics. We do philosophy, philosophy, movies, Swedish things, games and game design. And we're also doing a whole segment on. So you think you want to make a game? We'll talk. We're going to go all the way through what it takes to develop a indie game.
0: If there's one Swedish beer you would recommend for people to check out, what would it be?
1: Uh, wow. One Swedish beer to recommend. So there's a brewer here in Stockholm that's called Northern Exposure. Okay. I don't know if you'll be able to get them. They're craft brewer. Uh, it's actually two New Zealand guys who moved here. Uh, and of course, having lived in Seattle, uh, they make IPAs. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. But
1: um, they're good. And Garnet, where can people
0: find you personally on social media?
1: Uh, at Garnet Lee, Twitter, that's my that's one place I still use the most. If you use the Facebooks, I go over there occasionally. I, I still have my Garnet on Games page, uh, which I'm using now as sort of an ad hoc page for uh, our podcast as well. But if you want to get at me wherever, uh, Garnet on Games or at Garnet Lee on Twitter. All
0: right, Garnet, always good to catch up with you, man. Much love, my brother and best of luck with Raw Fury and your new home in Sweden. Alright, now that you know what Garnet recommends, what are you going to do with your weekend? Games. The Dregs of March, just keep marching on. It's slim Pickens this weekend if you're looking for new games to play. Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville launches for Switch today, along with a visual novel from Japan called Root Film. It's the sequel to cult hit favorite, Root Letter, and it launches for PS4 and Switch today. TV and film. We're going to go back a day or two here to recommend something that you probably already know about, but it is the Justice League Snyder Cut debuting on HBO Max. It is an extended, reworked, reshot version of Justice League. Obviously, your mileage with this is going to vary depending on how much you like the original. We were not big fans. Theaters are starting to reopen and people are starting to go back. And if you're looking for something to go check out, The Courier debuts this weekend. It's a true-life spy thriller set during the Cuban Missile Crisis starring Benedict Cumberbatch. On streaming services, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier debuts today on Disney+. The pair that came together in the final moments of Avengers Endgame teams up for a global adventure that tests their abilities and their patience also debuting this weekend, is Calls Season 1 on Apple TV. This is a strange kind of experiment that Apple TV is doing. It's a show that kind of functions on phone calls and visualizations. It's a new concept and something worth checking out. And then finally on Sunday, Q, Into the Storm, debuts on HBO Max. It is a documentary on the QAnon phenomenon, psychosis, cult, whatever you want to call it. It's a six-part series that claims to finally unveil the true identity of Q. Three big album releases this week, and all of them are coming out today. The first one, I know most of you guys may not care all that much about it, but it is definitely going to be the biggest release of the week. Justin Bieber has a new album today called Justice. It is exactly what you'd expect. A lot of poppy, sappy, R&B-tinged tracks with lots of guest performers joining him on each one of them. And then Lana Del Rey has a new album out today called Chemtrails Over the Country Club. Just what you'd expect from her as well. A collection of seductive ballads. And then finally, Sting has a brand new album out today that was delayed from last November. It's called Duets, and true to the name, it is a collection of duets he does with other artists, uh, Eric Clapton, Mary J. Blige, and a bunch of others. Sports! If you're planning on chilling on the couch with a bunch of sports this weekend, I hope you like basketball, because it is all about NCAA March Madness. The tournament has kicked off already. Already, some teams have been eliminated. Hopefully, your brackets haven't been busted yet, but if you're looking to check all that out, it's mostly on three networks, TBS, TNT, and CBS. Also kicking off today, the 2021 CONCACAF Olympic Qualifying Championship on Fox Sports 1, and it also rocks all weekend long. Moving on to Saturday, I know a lot of our folks in Europe love rugby, and on Saturday, the Six Nations Championship, France versus Wales, kicks off at 4 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. If you're looking for some pucks, the Wild Take on the Avalanche on NHL Network at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then right after that, it's the Flyers versus the Islanders at 7 p.m. Eastern. And then later that night, if you're looking for some MMA, ESPN UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Holland kicks off at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Then to wrap up the weekend on Sunday at 325 Eastern, Tottenham versus Aston Villa is on NBCSN. And then if you're looking for some women's basketball, the women's tourney kicks off on ESPN and ABC. If you're looking for some golf, the final round of the Honda Classic starts at 3 p.m. on NBC. And then if you're looking for some NASCAR, the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 is going down at 3 p.m. on Fox. Esports! There's a couple big tournaments going on this weekend. The 2021 League Championship Series Mid Season Showdown, that's a mouthful, kicks off this weekend and runs until April 10th. And then if you're into Rainbow Six Siege, South America's biggest tournament of the year is going on the 2021. Campeonato suda americano with a purse of 300k is also going down all weekend long thanks for checking out three night weekend from sifted games at sifted.net once again a big thanks for garnet lee coming on the show if you want to get it when it's hot and fresh head to patreon.com sifted and give us a pledge uh, if you give us four dollars a month or more you'll get this every friday morning if you want to know when the show is posted for free, follow us on Twitter at Sifted Games. And if you want to reach out to me and suggest future guests, you can find me at DinFire. I'm Shane Satterfield, reminding you that every weekend is a three night weekend.